So uh, thank you for coming and worshiping and uh, focusing on what God is going to do here. Uh, let's pray and ask that uh, he would be our teacher today and that we can dig into the word. Thank you for all who are online. I hope you can sit back and relax and enjoy the, the message and uh, be fed by it. Heavenly Father, you are good all the time. You are good. You are good. And we, we discovered that all through the fall where we just focused on your goodness. And sometimes that, that seems to be so veiled from our face. But Father, you are good because your word says it. And, and we just know it for those of us who have walked with you for so long. So we celebrate that today as believers. And Father, I pray for those who are on the way to, to you, that you would use this message, this experience to draw them to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I, I'm involved in different groups, and uh, one of the groups I'm involved in is uh, a group called Arrow, Arrow Training, and it's a leadership training program uh, started by Leighton Ford a lot of years ago, and uh, it's, uh, it's a fantastic organization. It is an organization that has trained just thousands of uh, leaders right now around the world, and it's a real privilege to go and do some uh, training with them. Uh, I was sitting up in the balcony uh, one day when uh, one of the coaches came in. They had an, sort of an expert coach from uh, Northern Ireland. And, and they came in to be able to sort of uh, give the leaders a, a little sort of primer on how to do coaching. And uh, as, uh, as, <coughs> as they're writing things on the board, that they said something that was interesting, that all humans are wired for a lot of different things. And it's, it's something that we know. Just if I tell you some words, you go, oh, yeah. Every human being is wired in some way for this. We're wired for meaning. You need to have some meaning in your life. If you are, live a meaningless life, it's like you just can't live like that. You need to be loved. Every person needs to be loved. And if you are unloved, you just know there's a basic need that is, is, is gone. To be valued, to belong to a, a group. Even, even the, the most introvertish of us need to be around other people. But it's interesting as, uh, as they're writing these things down, they said social psychology has found that we're hardwired for one need more than any others. In fact, to a five to one. We're hardwired for safety more than any other need. Isn't that interesting? So if you have a need for purpose, if a safety issue comes up, all of a sudden that takes over the, the, the whole idea of meaning. The whole idea of being loved, even safety will, will come up against that. And these things sort of, sort of fight each other. The need to protect ourselves is visceral. We have an adrenal gland that pumps out uh, adrenaline or epinephrine, wh whatever country you're in. And, and there's this safety loop, loop that, that, that we need to protect ourselves. The, uh, the, uh, the, the coach uh, drew this up. He said that uh, there's this uh, need for safety. And this need for safety is to protect. We need to protect, protect, protect. And you know that. If you are a parent, if your child's in trouble, you go, hold on, stop, right? I was, I was driving, uh, I was just uh, driving uh, down my road, and I saw this little kid about to go out on the road. And they, they froze. It's like, it was looked like the, you know, Mission Impossible, like this. And the parent going, get over here, just yelling. Of course, you know, I'm slowing down. It's good. I could stop. And, uh, but you want your children to, to, to be safe. And so we want to protect. We want to protect. We want to protect. Um, it's interesting 
this coach uh, told us that uh, all the, uh, the, the, the desires for protection come from fear. All the ideas of, of we need to protect because we need to fear our child being run over. Yes, we need to, to fear. And, and guess what? Uh, this is not a thing against fear. There's appropriate levels of fear. God gave us that, those, uh, those feelings. Uh, there are appropriate levels of fear. Uh, there is a Proverbs talks about a prudent person sees uh, a problem in the future and stops. And so that's good. There's some dangers that we should not get into at all because we should be afraid of. In fact, Jesus told people they should actually fear God in order to, because he is the one that can throw you into hell. I know there is a verse out there and it's in John 4, 18. It says there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear casts out fear. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that fear, is, all fear is bad. What that verse is actually saying, that verse is saying, we as Christians don't need to fear death and hell because God has conquered that. And that fear, that specific fear that everyone should on the way to God fear, we don't have to fear that anymore because God's perfect love has conquered that one. And so, yes, it is a good thing. But too much fear and inappropriate fear leads to a fog, the coach was saying. It's like if you live in fear all the time, and you know people like that, right? There, there people live in fear continually. There's this, I just don't know what to do next. I, I don't know, right? I just don't know. And those of us who live in Canada know what it means to live and to drive in fog, right? You know that the first uh, few uh, <laughs> changes in temperature, right? The ice on the road that you can barely see as you drive. And, you know, you're following the headlights ahead of you, right? And you go, wow, you know, the windshield wipers aren't doing anything. The fog lights aren't doing anything. And those headlights turn off and you're not turning off, right? What happens? What do you do? You go, ah, right? <laughs> ah, and you stop. But then you think there's a transport going to barrel down behind you. So I got to keep on going, but I got to stop. You know that feeling, right? Well, that's the feeling for people who live in fear. There's this fog and then they freeze, which, which, which just hunkers them down to protect more and more. Right now in this moment, we're living in a culture of fear. I think I passed five signs on Upper James says, be safe, be safe, be safe, and we need to. This is not a message about appropriate levels of safety. Every one of us can figure that out, and you figure that out, and if there are levels of safety you want to have that are different from someone else, I'll let you, you folks battle that one out. But I'm just saying there is a culture of let's be safe, which again is feeding us with fear, fear, fear. This culture of continual uncertainty this, uh, uh, just, just throws a lot of us into a fog. There's also a fearfulness that is, is not put on us by our culture. It's from hurts in our past. There's people who, who are fearful to be loved. I mean, somebody told me that. I have a relative that, that they are fearful to be accepted. Why would you want not to be accepted? But they're too fearful to be accepted, too fearful to be loved. They've been hurt in their past, and they just can't let that vulnerability happen so much. <clears throat> And then there's some of us who've received phone calls, right? The phone call that, that, that takes us from, I, I need to live some kind of protective in, in life, and it throws us all the way over to freeze. The phone call about a relative, maybe a son or daughter 
I just uh, talked to some parents who have had some devastating news about their, their child. Their words to me were, I just don't know how to feel. We just don't even know what to do. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I, I mean, I, I just makes sense. That, that protected life that they thought was so protected, boom, fear, to fog, to freeze, like in an instant. That could happen just like that. So how do we break out of this fear loop in the proper time? How do we do this? As I was uh, researching for these, uh, this series, and I've been doing this over the last about month as I've been researching, I listened to a TED Talk of uh, a psychologist doing a, her PhD. And in the midst of uh, doing her PhD, she was doing a PhD studies in resilience. In resilience. And, and how to sort of make it through difficult times. In the middle of her PhD, her best friend was killed in a car accident. Her best friend had a daughter that was the same age as her daughter, and that daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And her own daughter was killed in that accident. So, of course, the appropriate thing to do is to grieve, to call out, to cry, and to freeze. Yes, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a normal human emotion. She went to a counselor, and, and the counselor said this. Uh, basically, you will live in a fog of frozen fear for at least five years, and your not, life will never recover. Just sort of setting appropriate expectations. <laughs> she said one day she woke up <clears throat> and said, hold on, I'm a person, I can actually... Do something about this. I can work on this. I don't have to be a victim in this. I can actually do a work on this. And so she started to actually try and live about the resilience that she was studying about. Resilience is this healthy quality for those who grieve, but who, who are able to move past and not allow hurt to, to define them. It's a, an emotional reserve tank that helps us bounce back. Maybe not right away. Appropriately, we need to grieve. But it allows us to bounce back. And we need this quality now in our society more than any other time, don't we? As, as we're living with this, this, this sense of, of foreboding all around us, we need to have resilience. In our gut of guts, we need to have resilience. The American Psychology Association says, the psychologists define resilience as a process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, and significant sources of strength, stress. Sorry. Every so often I try and think back in, in, in my days, like who had that kind of resilience? And my mind went uh, immediately to, a, uh, to an experience I had at Joy Bible Camp. I, I used to go up uh, and uh, speak to their uh, young people. Uh, they thought better of it after a while, but uh, I got to do that for quite a few years. And uh, I remember one day, uh, there's a, a young lady. <clears throat> she sat, uh, said, Dave, Dave uh, you know, Speaker Dave, can you come? And, and, and I, I want to tell you about my life. And so, yes, we went outside and she sat down and she said, I, uh, I never knew my dad. And she said, my, my mom used to beat me quite a bit when I was a, a, a little child. And so they took me out and I've been in foster homes. 
She said, I'm so happy I'm in foster homes. And I go, why are you happier in foster homes? She says, because the, the second to the last one were Christians. And she said, I met Jesus. And he's my savior. I would not have met Jesus if it wasn't that I was thrown into a foster home. And she had this biggest smile. on. I just didn't quite know what to do with that, right? Like, do you go, yay? <laughs> so I, I said, okay, that's, that's great. And then she said this. She said, will you pray, pray for me? And so I was thinking about all the things that I could. You know how somebody talks to you and you're hearing for the prayer request, right, to come up? And they're getting there, right? And, and so they're about to land the plane. So she circled this plane around a little bit more. And she said, well, I had to move out of that home, and uh, now I'm in a new home, and uh, they don't let me go to church. They're not, not Christians, and I'm not allowed to go to church. And she said, in fact, this week at camp is the only Christian input I'm going to get for the year, and I am enjoying every bit of it. Looking in the, the face of this young, young, probably grade 9, grade 10 girl. And then she said this, Dave, would you pray with me that my new foster mom and dad will become Christians because they need Jesus? <laughs> and inside I said, who are you? Like, who, did an angel come and just like <laughs> switch bodies out with you? Who are you to be able to think like this? So I, I prayed and she was so happy. She went on. Um, right after that, oh my goodness, another another young lady came by and I saw that I was sitting on the bed. Oh, Speaker Dave. She came, sat down. She said, and then she started to, to do the, my whole life is falling apart. You know, I'm still sort of in the, the midst of, of sitting with somebody holy. And, <clears throat> and so I'm trying to switch. I'm going, so, so how's your life falling apart? Oh, Bobby. Oh, he doesn't like me. <laughs> and uh, so, well, how long has this been going on? For a year, he hasn't liked me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic because everybody's problem is, is a problem in their own, right? It's like I'm not trying to lighten heart of it, but her whole life was falling apart. And uh, so I prayed with her that, that uh, God would help her in the midst of her pain. Um, but then she, she went up and, and left. And then I, I asked the question, right? Is resilience a personality type? Is it? Is resilience something, the people that can bounce back, is that just sort of what you're born with? Are, are people born with this, oh, you know, life is bad. It's interesting, as I kept on researching, the APA says resilience isn't necessarily a personality trait that only some people possess. On the contrary, resilience involves behaviors, thoughts, actions that anyone can learn and develop. So according to them, they're saying, no, it's not a personality type. This is actually something we can change and work on. So then I, I moved on from psychology. I said, okay, God, what do you have in your word? And thank you, Joseph. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jacob, for reading about the life of Joseph. Well done. Well done. Uh, he was, I, I need to share, he has an old family Bible that he recovered and did that from. I said, let's give it up for Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Woo! Jacob or Israel, he got the name change, had two wives. And his, his heart, he was in love with Rachel. And 
And, and, and the, the wife of, of his heart had a son. son's name was Joseph. And, and right off the bat, when we hear about Joseph, Joseph's life did not get off well for him. But as we read the whole story, if somebody has resilience down in the Bible, he does. So let's dig down deep, like go slowly through parts of his life, and find out where resilience comes from with God involved in this. So here we go, Genesis 37, 3 to 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So uh, it's interesting, I was reading a rabbi's kind of uh, commentary on this. And the rabbinical commentary said he had three things going just right off the top, not going well for him. He had preferential treatment. At home, he was at home more often than at work. Remember, he's 17. He's old enough to be out in the fields. He's at home. And not only is he at home, he had a special coat made for him, which was a sign, the, the rabbis say, that he is now going to get the inheritance. So the oldest usually gets the inheritance, a double portion and uh, that would have been Reuben. But guess what? What happens is he's already sort of set aside as the one that's going to get more money. And you, you understand at a workplace, right? Somebody comes in going, how come they get double the pay? Right? Does that help in a work situation? No. Okay? That just does not help. So those, that, it was just like bad, bad, bad. Uh, parents, listen, we should not be giving preferential treatment. It, it leads to trouble for both the person we prefer and the ones that we do not prefer. So jo Joseph, not only that, but he often brought bad reports home. Uh, so not only was he in, in trouble because his parents' problem, but he was in trouble just because he was a tattletale. So he would just come and bring bad reports. We don't know if they're appropriate ones or not, but it seemed like it was enough that that's what the brothers thought he was going to do. Here comes the dreamer. He's going to come and spy on us. He's a gossip slander, perhaps. We don't know for sure. But whatever that was, that did not help him. And then he had dreams, that he had dreams. Interesting, in Genesis, the, the commentators say in, in the ancient times, people realized people had dreams, and there's nothing to them. But if they're confirmed by two, sometimes by seven, there's, there's this, this confirmation of a dream. So we see in the life of Joseph, every dream gets doubled. So he always has two dreams about every situation he's in. And that's like a confirmation. It's not just a dream. It is something that gets confirmed again. And so what does he do? He goes and shares it. Hey, you are, you are going to come and bow down before me. Isn't that awesome? Like, do you have no social awareness? They hate you. Like, come on. Like, get plugged in, the emotional intelligent thing. He, they hate your guts. But you're going to come and worship me. And then it happens again. It's not like he has a double dream and then lets both barrels go. He waits for the second barrel. Hey, mom and dad, you're going to bow to me too. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. So if he was older, he could have been wiser in how he shared that and when he shared that dreams. By the way, those, uh, those uh, uh, I, I'm involved in church renewal people, and they, they're, they're amazing. They said, sometimes you get a word from God, a dream or a vision, and sometimes you share it, sometimes you don't. You hang on to it, and you pray for the person. And, and sometimes it, you, we just need to wait. So he kicks into high gear the story when Joseph is sent 90 kilometers to go and check on, on his brothers alone. Okay, different times, right? We do, would you send out a 17-year-old 90 kilometers? I guess we send him off to college, don't we? Anyway, so 
off to college he goes alone. And guess what he takes with him? Because this would so ingratiate himself with the, to his brothers. He takes the coat that shows that he's better. Come on, Joseph. So they say, here comes the dreamer, the favorite, coming to spy on us. Very quickly, he gets beat up. He gets beat up and thrown into a cistern. Cisterns were actually built out of solid rock. That they've, they've discovered them all over the Middle East, some uh, as deep as six feet, some as deep as 21 feet. And during, during the rainy season, they would, they would sort of uh, filter water down into these cisterns to hold them through the dry seasons. And so there's this big tank. They basically threw him in. And then the brothers sat around and ate and discussed how they're going to kill him. Now Judah, Judah the thirdborn, saves his life and says, hold on, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off of him. And uh, to sell them, uh, to sell him as a slave. And Judah says, after all, he's our brother. Isn't that sweet? After all, he's our brother. Ah, let's not murder him. Let's sell him as a slave. Different times, okay? Just different times. The gang mentality went out and he was sold as a slave. Reuben was going to come back and free him, but it did not work. Now I want you to imagine how Joseph was feeling at the time. He was on top of the heap, right? He knew he was favored. He was, he was the boy that got to stay at home when everybody else worked. He got to bring the reports and see how everybody was doing. He already saw that he was being groomed for leadership. Wow. And now to be taken from that to the lowest place imaginable. On the trip to Egypt. What would you think? What would you think? I think the fair question would have come up. This is not fair. Right? This is so not fair. Interesting. Again, I, I talked to several counselors in our, our, our church. And, and as they're talking to me, sometimes they say in the midst of tragedies, people ask questions of themselves. If I didn't wear the coat, if I hadn't shared the dreams. Ah. And then it eventually leads to the question that I think almost every one of us have asked sometime. Where were you, God, in this? Where were you in this whole thing? We're going to find out later on in the story that, uh, that Joseph was a, a strong believer in God. There's some things, that hints later on in the story. We'll, we'll attack those uh, later on in the series. But where were you, God? And if it's true, all humans are hardwired, five to one for safety. I'm sure he lived in some kind of fear. Maybe a fog and even frozen for a time. Without knowing, Joseph was one step closer to where he was supposed to be. The story continues in Genesis 39, 1-2. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard, he by chance got to be very close to Pharaoh. And bought him from the Emishalites, uh, wow, I, I usually can say that, who had taken him there. And here's the one phrase I want us to get. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Can, can we say that? You can say that at, at home too. And if there's too many people, you're embarrassed, just whisper. All right, here we go. The Lord was with Joseph. Here we go. One, two, three. The Lord was with Joseph. So he prospered, he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And okay, 
if you were reading this story for the first time, or if you're reading this as not a believer, what would your question be? What would your question be? It would be, great, God's with me. It sure didn't feel like it, right? Right? Come on. That didn't feel like God being with me. Oh, man. If God was with Joseph, wouldn't all these bad things happen? What? God certainly is not with me. I lost my job. Certainly God is not with me. My relationships fell apart. Certainly, where are you, God? Man, there's this disease that's attacking my body. God, where are you even there? It happens to us all. And yet, the Bible focuses on that one thing. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. Joseph experienced horrible things in our story. And horrible things are still going to come. <laughs> Let's get a little personal here. Let's get a little personal. I'm going to ask you actually to raise your hands on this one. So this is, this is an all play, okay? All play. I'm going to build up to it, so, so don't put up your hand now. I want you to put up your hand if someone close to you right now has cancer. Somebody that you know that is very close to you or yourself has had a miscarriage. A horrible breakup. A complete failure at school or life. A dream that you've had about marriage or children that you do not have. And some kind of chronic physical pain. If you have one of those things, let's just put up your hand, okay? Come on, come on. All right, why don't you look around? Thanks, you can put your hand down. Life's hard. You're not a special case. Life is just hard. It happens to all of us. And if it hasn't happened yet, can I tell you? It will. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> it is just hard. I've been pushed out of a job called a failure. Both my parents are died. I live with this continual ringing in my ear. I have an essential tremor where I can't actually hold on to things at times. I've lost feeling in a big portion of my foot. I have an ulcer and a reflux that I think I'm going to die sometime in the middle of the night. But I'm pretty good as far as stuff goes. I really am. As, as general things go, I'm, I'm pretty good. <clears throat> the most I've read about resilience is said resilient people seem to know that life brings bad things. You weren't discriminated against. You're not worse than anybody else. Terrible things happen to everyone. There's uh, one of my favorite books. I, I think it's got to be my top five. Uh, if not higher. Uh, this is was recommended by the uh, Alpha people. It's called God on Mute. I think every Christian should read it. <laughs> is that a good enough, uh, yeah, good enough uh, recommendation? Um, in, that, in that book, the writer talks about uh, a friend of his that he goes surfing with. He lives in England. I guess there's surfing in England. Makes sense, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> the The one of the men that he, he serves with, his daughter was born with special needs. His son has had to have multiple, multiple surgery. He's been in the hospital more than he's been out of the hospital. He's a pastor. The church split. And uh, so he's out of a job. And um, I, the author said, how do you handle it? That's how, how do you handle it? And you, you know what this guy said? He said, handle what? 
all the stuff you're going through. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 that, yeah. Um, and his response was this. Life is fundamentally tough. But I know God, and he walks with me through difficult times. In fact, he says, life's a, and I can't say the word. I just can't say it. I'm a pastor, and some people will be offended, all right? But it has something to do about the dog species, the female dog species. I'm not going to say it, but life's just one of those. <clears throat> in other words, he's saying we're not entitled to Instagram lives, highlight reels. Around the world, there is pain that we have no idea about. And right now in this building, there are a handful of missionaries from Africa. And they would know that. And they would say, amen, there, there's pain around the world that North Americans don't know about. <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples this interesting thing in, in John 16. He says, uh, guess what, guys? I'm going to be killed. Woohoo! You're going to be scattered. Our little small group that we've had for three years. Have you been in a small group for three years? Isn't it amazing? <clears throat> that small group is going to be no more. In fact, even more trouble is going to come. In John 16, 33, he says, I told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. So if we are abiding in him, and he talks a lot about abiding in him, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. <clears throat> that seems to be little consolation, isn't it? Especially if you are in the middle of a bout with cancer or a sister whose life just seems to be falling off the rails or a nephew who doesn't seem to be getting better. Seems to be little consolation that, hey, listen, you're going to have trouble. But I've overcome the world. Well, well, how am I supposed to have peace with that whole thing? Well, if you read the verses ahead of that in John 16, 7 and 13, it says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. It's better I go away because I'm going to be so much closer to you than you can ever imagine. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll lead you. Uh, he'll guide you into all truth. Truth, don't let this pass you by. This is key in living a resilient life. It's interesting. Most articles I read about resilience uh, is setting up realistic expectations. They get the life is hard piece. They get the life is hard. But guess what the articles don't say? The secular articles don't say, they don't say God is good. They say life is hard, but we say life is hard, God is good. And when God is with you, God is with you. It is amazing. It is something that we can come into. And he will give you strength that you do not know that you have. In this book, God on Mute, I, there's this quote I thought was amazing. He said, life is not a short story and I'm not the hero. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Life is not a short story and I'm not the star. We contribute what we can to the epic being written where God is the hero. I have a little story to put into the epic that he's writing where he is the hero. And so in the midst of this, we read Isaiah 41.10. It's got to be one of my favorite verses. Do not fear, for I am with you. Why should we not fear? Why should we not fear? Because to break this cycle, 
we, we have to go, okay, yes, there's appropriate fear, but somehow I got to go, I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will. That's a promise. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Seeing where God is is key to living a resilient life. <clears throat> we know God is everywhere. We do know God is everywhere. It says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. It's not just that he's here with us. Guess what? He's active. It's just not that God is with us. He's active. I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous hand. He's, I'm going to be active in Psalm 139. He says, I will be, I'm going to guide you when I'm with you. And my right hand will hold you fast. Listen, just hold on to me. Because guess God is active with when he is with us. So to build resilience in our lives, the first thing, there's lots of truths that we're going to look at in Joseph's life. But number one, we've got to be able to say, God, you're with me. God, you're with me. I, 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 would, I, I want us to say that. Can we even say that out loud right now? God, you're with me. Here we go. One, two, three. God, you're with me. Let's try it again. God, you're with me. God. I'm not sure what that does to you. I know it does to me. In rough weeks, not knowing what to do with our services and difficult situations, I've had to whisper that, God, hold on, you're with me. <laughs> I'm not alone in this, right? You're with me. In fact, meet me in my pain. I, I talk to, I've talked to a lot of people over my years, and uh, it's so fascinating to me to hear a recurring lie. I, I, it, it's recurred so many times. I, I have a theory that uh, the, the demon playbook is real short. They, they, they're not very creative. All right. They, there's only a few things that are said. And here's something that, that, that is said again and again. God, God's left me. I've done too much. I've run too far. I if God was with me, this wouldn't have happened. God is not real. God is not with me. That is a lie, 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 lie. It would have been easy for Joseph to believe it was his parents' fault. It's his fault. If you read the life of Joseph, it's interesting. <clears throat> you, you, you read about Joseph, and then in the middle of it is this weird story about Judah and Tamar. Oh, sorry, no, Judah, yeah, Judah and, and his sister Tamar. You go, what was, or no, not, sorry, not Tamar, sorry, Judah and, uh, and him having sex with his, um, what's his, his stepdaughter, right? Yeah, that's right. Isn't that great? We don't do that one in children's ministry. So, so Judah is, is, is supposed to be, yeah, supposed to be uh, having this daughter-in-law uh, marry one of his sons. But he keeps on putting it off. It not going to get into the story. It's just a bad story. It's just bad. Where Judah does some things that are stupid. And then 
Then God goes right back into Joseph. I, I, you know, I'm reading through Genesis. I'm reading commentaries. Why is this in here? And they ask, think, why do you have Judah messing up in the middle of the story? You know what they say? They, because all through the story, you start to find out that Judah is, is, being, is being trained and being risen up as the one, the one where the king is going to come through. Judah is going to be the leader. The top two sons are, are taken away. And Judah's the one. And in the middle of the story, he blows it. Big t- he just makes a mess of this. What does God say in the midst of this? That God does not leave you. He does not sideline you. He does not push you off to the side just because you have sin in your life. God can be with you. He can come and take you through that sin and, and, and remove it and give you power over it. God, you are with me. 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 God, you were with me in the past. Some people are struck, stuck in self-doubt. Or, or I should have, I could have all through their life. Being stuck in the past about what other people have done to them. If my parents had only. The counselors I've talked to have told me they're, they're wandering in the wilderness mentality. Letting their past define you. They're, they're, they're walking around the mountain again and again for 40 years. The counselors have told me that sometimes they just have to, to flip the switch. I've dealt with this mountain long enough. I've dealt with this mountain long enough. And they need to ask the question, okay, God, where were you back there? And how have you helped me? How can you carry me through this? I remember hearing a, a story of a fireman who was, was burnt in a fire. And uh, he just could not go back to work. He just, he, he went off and, and he had to do something else. And he was living this, this life of fog and fear. And, and often he would just freeze. And he went to many counselors until somebody said, have you talked to God about where were you in this? And so he sat back and said, God, where were you in that mess? Where were you? Were you there when I was being burnt in that fire? You know, and immediately he heard, yes, I was with you and I was, being, I was protecting your life. And he got up and said, God, thank you for protecting my life. Why? Because God is with us. God is with us now. He was with us in the past. He will be with us in the future. God, God, I, you are all I have. And so we chose, choose to focus on the presence of Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. We discover strength in our weakness, a sensitivity to those who also carry a weight. But we do that, we start to build resilient lives by, number one, following Joseph's example, by just recognizing, God, you are with me. I'm going to just pray now. I'm going to ask that God would open our eyes to his presence with you now, wherever you are. And that with him being with us, that he can start to deal with the fear that we have in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We love you. You are with us in the midst of difficult times. And that is not a thin thing. It's a heavy thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to play out my little story in your grand epic. That's about you and your redeeming love for the world. And I get this little corner of Hamilton. And it's awesome. And I, I, I don't live 
anything perfect, but I just, I want to shine for you because I know the story's about you, God, and I know that you want to use me to turn one page in your grand story, God, and if that involves waiting for things, it involves waiting for things. If it involves uh, hardships, it involves hardship, but God, I want to live my story with you beside me because it's so much easier than living apart from you. I love you, Jesus. And I pray for resilient lives in my people. Help us to recognize that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.